Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Talking About Birds, the only podcast that, like Adam Wainwright, should call it quits. Uh, today, Nate is in Budapest, uh, so I am recording uh, with a new guest. We've replaced Nate, um, and I think likely for the better, and uh, maybe he'll just stay in Hungary. I don't know. Anyways, we have Kyle Reese uh, with us this week, or with myself this week. Very excited to have you, Kyle. Um, how's it going, man? Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited. I feel like I haven't uh, talked about the Cardinals in some time, and hopefully we don't even talk about the Cardinals. Let's find other things to talk about. Well, yeah, we have a lot to talk about. I do want to talk a minute about Adam Wainwright. We're going to talk about some of the prospects that we received at the deadline now that we've had some time to see them kind of matriculate through the Cardinal system. Um, I also want to bug you about some couple, a couple of other youngsters, some of the draft picks and some, uh, some risers and fallers this season. Uh, but we'll get into that. Uh, after the song. Kyle, how's your season been? We're we're almost done. I think we have six games, six or seven games remaining. How's life? How are you? How have you been? What's up? You know, I never considered myself uh, an emotional fan. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, you know, we all have our emotional moments. Bad calls get the better of you, uh, regardless of how you know in the moment you try to be or uh, how how you try to approach every game. But like. This has been an emotional roller coaster of a year. Uh, yeah, I, I find that most of the time I can't think analytically. Uh, not to you know when we talk about analytics in baseball, it's a whole thing. But I just mean like uh, being able to be objective and analytical instead of emotionally reactive. This is the hardest job I've ever done, like internally <laughs> for that. And that actually for me is spread into the minor leagues. I I don't know if it's just like feeling betrayed by the professional product, but I, I'll my interest in the minors kind of dwindled throughout the year and it, it picked up and then would dwindle and then picked up and then would dwindle. But yeah, I, I I'm ashamed to say that I, I was not as strong of a fan as I always assumed I was based on my viewing habits and my uh, ancillary tendencies to the Cardinals. What about you? How are you holding up? Yeah. Well, you know, we, we do a weekly show, which forces us to be kind of keyed in. Right. And, and it's, it's hard not to like arrive the emotional wave of week to week. Now, I would say on a normal year, I watch like, and I'm I, no hyperbole, probably close to 130, 140 Cardinals games. And, you know, whether it's on my phone or on the TV or whatever, I'm paying it very close attention to them every single day. That has just not been the case. And I, uh, you know, I, I think after those first two months, or maybe even three full months where they just kept finding new and interesting ways to lose, uh, ways which I had never conceived of it. Uh, yeah, yeah it took that plus all the tumultuous, tumultuous nature of Ali Marmol and John Mose, like fighting the fans and their own roster. It was deflating to say the least. Um, and, and I guess I, I want to ask you, cause we haven't really talked about this, how are you kind of grading? Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about Mosaic more later, but how are you grading Ali Marmol 
on his 2023 performance, um, like holistically. I'm talking about first day of spring training to we're sitting here today on Tuesday in September and, and recording. I think I've become so dismissive of it that <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what to think. I know that I'm I'm just like most people uh, or I feel like I want to hold everyone responsible. You yeah. know, I my emotions have been tra- trampled on. My expectations were destroyed. And I'm looking at everybody and saying this person is responsible. This person's responsible. Now, uh, as a manager, especially because of the sloppy play, I definitely think that something was missing. And I'm not sure if it was right. a rah-rah. Go on. Right. No, I, I'm fully agreeing with you. There's some. There's a key to the puzzle. A piece of the puzzle is missing. Yeah, I, and I just think that there is a certain level of uh, responsibility that he he has to take one way or the other. Now, again, I, I understand that I have an emotional bent here that I do want him to be held responsible. I don't necessarily mean it means we be fired. I, I don't know exactly what that means. He's not going to get an extension. If they would have had a successful year, he would have gotten an extension and he's not going to have that. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't have that safety net, um, which is going to make next year interesting in part because of that. But um, I guess my thought is I don't, I don't want my own emotions to, to push that. I don't want my own emotions to be like, Hey, he did a terrible job. Uh, he was miserable because there were moments throughout the year. And again, this is, this is sorting through the the best of the worst where they did play well, they'd go on runs. Now, most of that was because the offense went in fuego and you can't stop that offense when it goes in fuego. But we've also seen that when the players put in the extra time, uh, you know, whether it be Alec Burleson, who was struggled out in the outfield and, uh, but Jordan Walker, when when the players themselves put in the extra time to get as good as they can, uh, the defense isn't as much of an issue. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's a a coaching accountability thing. I don't know what yeah. that is. I just think I think that there is a certain drive that this team didn't necessarily have from the get go that other Cardinal teams have had. And I know the Cardinals point to spring training uh, and it being a little dysfunctional because of how many players were at the World Baseball Classic and they exaggerate that number because they include their minor leaguers who were never going to make a major league debut and that drives me nuts. Um, but yeah, it was, it was it, like 17 or 18 all told, right? Yeah. Yeah, 18, but, you know, like 12 who made them. So right. it's still a big number, but it's inflated and it's something that they can use. Uh, so anyways, I, I just think, I think that's something that was missing from this team. And it's it's other than the pitching, which is a front office issue and a performance issue. Um, I am inclined to blame the manager and his coaching staff for that. So yeah. uh, take that for whatever it is. What about you? Yeah, I mean, you talk about emotional management uh, from a fan standpoint and, and how to get mad and everything like that. And I think that's that specific issue is really my only problem with Ali Marmol this year is I think that his game management has been fine. I think that if you it, it's easy to look back now and look at the roster configuration and you, we all should have anticipated a a backward step defensively. Um, especially when you're running out Jordan Walker, you're trying to get Alec Burleson some ABs and he's in the outfield and probably stretch there a little bit, even though they both have nice arms. But my problem is really just been Ali Marmol. It's either getting mad at players, getting mad at reporters for asking questions. Um, I, I don't know this to be true, but I think him and Aaron Boone are tied or really close to tied for the league and getting thrown out of games this year, uh, which really doesn't affect the on the field play. But he just seems like um, 
you know, Mike Schultz was a little robotic and, and Ali Marmol is not that way. And I am, I, I guess I would want my boss to be consistent every day. And if your boss is not consistent emotionally, kind of what you're talking about. I think it's hard to know what you're being held accountable for. Is he going to blast me to the media? Did I do a good job? I don't know. It's, I think it's hard to, especially, obviously we're not in the, in the locker room. We don't know what those conversations are like once the dust has settled, but there, there's something wanting there for sure. I would say. Yeah. We know we, maybe we want to um, push the narrative a little bit as fans that the Tyler O'Neill situation uh, might've been the catalyst for all of the struggle or what we perceive to be drama. Uh, yeah. And I, I do think, I think it's exaggerated. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen, we've read reports, we've heard things behind the scenes that shortly thereafter, Tyler and Ali got on the same page and there weren't that many issues, uh, whatever, whatever. Um, but I do think that that moment set the tone for the season and it was a bad look in a moment of defeat. It like the first moment of defeat in the season, <laughs> Yeah, you know, where they threw one away. And everybody handled it wrong. The players handled it wrong. Ali handled it wrong. And that moment set the tone for the season. Now, maybe they come out and they win the next three games and the tone changes. But that didn't happen. Uh, they they played lackluster baseball. And that continued. And it yeah. just seemed to be the cloud over the team. Did, did this team ever look like it was having fun playing baseball this year? That, maybe that, Adam Wainwright's 200th win? That first game of the year, the the yeah. home the the opener, the home opener, because they opened at home this year. But uh, that game, I remember. You know, I was at that game. I remember everybody was in it. But there's no denying that throughout the entire year, uh, thanks to Cardinals gifts and people who post clips, that they'd hit a home run. You know, they'd be they'd be fighting to get to 500 early in the year, or fighting fighting to put together a nine game win streak, and they'd hit a big home run and. It looked like they were trying to play a joke on a guy hitting his first major league home run. It, it did not make any sense Yay. what was going on. And <laughs> and again, like you hear a little bit of information here and there, and, and it doesn't sound like the clubhouse was an issue. Um, you know, I've heard I've heard divided things that like there is a, a veteran presence that doesn't necessarily commingle with the younger players, and and, and maybe that plays into it. I, I don't really know. Um, I do know that things just didn't work. And yeah. no matter what the offense tried to do to, to get everything in line, it didn't work with the pitching. And because of that, uh, you know, you would have good starts that would get blown up by the bullpen and games when the bullpen didn't even matter because the starts had been bad. So that the attitude, the change yeah. in the clubhouse, whatever it was leading into the poor pitching uh, doomed this season from the from the get go, basically. Yeah. Yeah, there is uh, just thinking back on the year, you know, we were trying to uh, make the hamburger phone happen. People were trying to have fun with that. And then that kind of just faded into obscurity and no one ever saw the hamburger phone again. I cut my pet theory. So I I think that like something around this, there's definitely something that's just like a little bit off and it might just be five degrees. I do have a little pet theory that I think that the Ryan Helsley uh, injury was a lot more damaging to the Cardinals and their ability to turn shit around. Yeah. Um, it was limited by that, especially when you had guys like Gallegos kind of have an inconsistent season and he had health issues and uh, got, uh, uh, who's the guy that's now a, uh, a Blue Jay, a Genesis Cabrera. He looks like he was the second coming 
um, and then quickly fell off the, the bullpen consistency. And I think because you lost your, your big horse, your ace in the bullpen, Ryan Helsley, it kind of, you know, trickle down economics into everything being terrible for everyone and on the pitching staff and specifically the bullpen. Yeah. Um, and at, the, at the same time, Helsley early on in the year, and he might've been nursing injury, who knows, but especially his knee, but um, he was bad. You know, they'd bring yeah. him into a safe situation and he wouldn't be able to close it. And that, that played into it too. So yes, you're, I think you're right. I think the the Helsley injury and him not being a hundred percent or whatever, that there's just no coming back from having what is your most talented arm, uh, you know, not just in the, yeah. on the entire pitching staff, not having your most talented arm available to you all season. Yeah. Um, or for the portion man, well, of the season. Yeah. Now I'm just, yeah, yeah. What, probably 80, 90 games, something like that. The, the, yeah. ch- the chunk of the middle of the season and, you know, it's hard to, uh, yeah, it's hard to come back from that. And I'm thinking, I think, uh, Ben Clemens, uh, fellow St. Louisan wrote a great article last year comparing Helsley's fastball to Jacob deGrom. And, uh, when you lose a Jacob deGrom out of the back end of your bullpen, um, yeah, like I said, it's hard to come back. Um, all right. I, I want to talk really quick. We do have a bit of good news or, or I don't even know if this is good news, but Adam Wainwright earlier today said that he's done pitching. He is not going to throw another major league inning. Um, he is uh, ostensibly retired. Obviously he got to win number 200. This podcast is really, really pulling for an AB or two, maybe a start at DH before. Uh, but I guess if I could just kind of get your general thoughts on Wayno, his season, how you're feeling right now. I know you, uh, you've been following the Cardinals as long as I have Wainwright's kind of our, our daddy or our our uncle or, or whatever. How, how are you feeling about all of this? Because of his personality and uh, his charisma and charm, he does. He feels like a member of the family. You know, to me, that's the one thing that separates him from Yachty in a lot of ways. The fiery competitor that Yachty was, I I have the utmost respect for. But Wayno was like a brother. He he reminds me of my older brothers. And, uh, you know, he makes his debut when I'm 20 years old or 19 years old. And I, I just feel like I've had this older brother in a Cardinal uniform for the last 50 years or whatever it's been, you know, uh, <laughs> this year sucks. There's no yeah. way around it. You know, uh, they shouldn't have paid him. I, look, I'm going to, I'm going to get the unpleasant stuff out of the way before I get into the pleasant. Uh, they shouldn't have given him the contract the 17.5 million last off season. We all knew the dangers that this was going to be. Uh, he was terrible when he was healthy. Uh, he had a couple good moments in the world baseball classic, which was fantastic. Um, it was, it was as miserable of a season to say goodbye as we have ever, ever seen. It was one of the worst pitching performances ever. So um, I do sympathize with the fans who want to like hang him out to dry. I, I get that. Uh, but who cares is, is really what I feel. Uh, I'm glad that it happened in the year that didn't matter, you know, yeah, because uh, it would have been brutal if they <laughs> were their normal struggling to get to 500 at the all-star break struggling to get to 500 uh, uh, at the trade deadline because that's basically what they've been for the last four or five years. Um, and then they get the the August push that turns into a September, uh, a little middling in September that ends up being a playoff a playoff berth in the wild card era. But they would have been that team that was still relying on Adam Wainwright to provide good innings, and he wasn't. It would have been miserable. It would have been divisive more so than it's been. And it would have been uh, it would have felt like you were putting your favorite horse out to pasture. You know, that's yeah. exactly what it would well, have felt like. I And I wonder, you know, let's say that's let's say the Cardinals did work out this year. 
is Adam Wainwright doing tune-up starts in AAA uh, in between big league stints to try to figure it out? Is he getting injections sooner? Is he not pitching? Is he just being a cheerleader on the bench? So it is. I think you're right in the sense that this was the perfect season to do that. But back to your point about the 17.5 million and this is where I get really critical of the front office and baseball ops for the St. Louis Cardinals is I get Wainwright had a fine year last year. He was clearly messed up the final month and a half and the Cardinals decided to re-up him for $17.5 million. You're giving that, making that bet on the second oldest pitcher in baseball. I think only to uh, our good buddy, Dick Mountain, who is, well, I don't know. He he just tosses that curveball, and I think he's going to pitch till he's forty five, forty six. He's a prince. Um, but but making that bet when you when you're not feeling confident about Libertor, when you're not willing to make the jumps for Graceffo or McGreevy or these other guys that we know in the minors, and you have Stephen Matz, and uh, like the, what? It's hard for me to understand what the thought process there, and it's not specifically Wayno's fault, but it's the entire roster and the way in which they decided to go about building it. That was my biggest question. Yeah. You know, they have an internal evaluation problem uh, and yes. that stems back for years now that they, they still like when they traded a Rosarena and they got, they got kind of blown up for that. And then uh, Alcantara and Gallon, and then a couple years past, they get blown up for that. Uh, they have an internal evaluation problem. They, that, you know, Candidly, they had it with Jordan Walker. As good as Jordan Walker's season has turned out, coming out of spring training, they internally evaluate, evaluated him higher than what they should have. And it put him in a bad position on the outfield, which put them in a bad position long term. Uh, not long term, short term, of course. But um, th- there is no doubt that there are eternal evaluation issues within the St. Louis Cardinals and that they need to they need to figure that out and fine tune it. You know, I've... I. I respect the scouting staff and the player development staff uh, within the organization. I respect the front office. It's been a terrible year uh, <laughs> for a couple of years now. Uh, they've been talking about how good their pitching is, and they've barely been holding on pitching-wise, and we saw it all fall apart this year. They've been un- unwilling to change their patterns because of how much on-the-field success, uh, as I use my fingies um, to do that thing that people do. Uh, uh, you know, the whites, they do this. But um, uh, <laughs> all, that's all just to say that, like, something is wrong and they need to change their model and they can talk about changing it and talk about changing. It. We've, we've heard them talk about their own changing their own internal evaluation model for years now, and it hasn't happened. And we're still seeing that. Um, and until that changes and still until they can start, you know, taking advantage of opportunities presented to them, um, this is always going to be the chance that this is always going to be what they have the capability of being, which is a t- team 20 games below 500 uh, that, that really just treads water and hopes for the best uh, until they can get reserves. If they're in a position to get reserves at the deadline. Uh, and it's a shame, but that's, to me, that's what it is. Giving, giving Wayno 17.5 when, you know, you knew at first off, no team's going to give Adam Wayne, right? That he's only, yeah. that, where was the competition? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Fully agree. You know, he, he's only that valuable to the Cardinals, you know, yeah. like, and at that point, if somebody's going to give him 17.5 and he wants to go play somewhere else, then let him go play somewhere else. You know, uh, yeah, it just happens, you know, uh, you can bring him back for one day and we can retire as a Cardinal and he'll still have the same pageantry. You know, I, I understand that there's a monetization with the 200 win that they were going to bank on and, you know, all, all the stuff that uh, comes with the guy's final season. Sure. 
um, that that they they thought would be worth investing that money. But again, all their free agent contracts have been kind of trash. Wilson Contreras worked out for the second half of this year, like a way that I don't think any of us thought it would in the first half. Uh, but they're, they're really now. bad. I, I have exactly. a lot of concerns about how that's going to age. How is a like how many slugging catchers age well past thirty years old? Only the elites. Only yeah. the elites. And maybe he ends up being that. I, I, yeah. I he's made me more of a believer. I never thought that we'd get the second half out of him. I, I, I this this is this is way more than I ever thought that we would get out of him. So I'm I will I'll refrain from that. But how how soon is he going to be a left fielder? Our permanent DH. Like these are real things that we're going to have to worry about for years right. on end. Um, but anyways, they're, they're really bad on the free agent market, except for on those short-term one-year deals for a couple million dollars. Uh, like that's the only spot in recent memory where they've, they've done really well. And also finding potential minor or major league arms, uh, on foreign markets at a discounted price. They still haven't dipped their toes into the high end. That's why I've been trying to find like the American players uh, playing in foreign leagues that might <laughs> sign two-year, $16 million contracts and not uh, Yamamoto or, uh, you know, any any of the high-end uh, foreign-born players uh, because right. that's kind of what they do. Um, but, yeah, look, uh, again, to, to ramble, they're bad at eternal evaluation. Something in there needs to change. And the only time that they've done well is when they've traded guys that they, uh, they didn't have a choice but to trade at this deadline. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that's really it, you know. That, and that's a whole other topic that we we should talk about at some point. But yeah, I, I think that the Cardinals did a fine job. They traded the guys who they had to trade. They did not extend themselves one iota and they sat where they sat. And I think just to put the button on this, like, you're, you know, I and I think the money is a good thing to complain about with the Adam Wainwright because it is seventeen point five million and you could go get four Wade Miley's for that. But the Cardinals made that internal evaluation that he's our guy. Maybe ticket sales and and pageantry and uh, um, record sales for Adam Wainwright's budding country career were all tied into this. Maybe the DeWitts are getting back in points on the Spotify transactions or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say that that was a smart move. It was hard to say that that was a smart move six months ago. And obviously it looks pretty dumb now. Um, so anyways, we, we're talking about Adam Wainwright. The Cardinals made a mistake. I think we're all happy that it's over. We're happy he got to 200. I did want to talk to you about something that's a little more exciting and something that we can dream on a little bit more. And we have a lot of interesting names that we received at the trade deadline. Now, again, I want to reiterate my feelings on this. Is I, I actually think the Cardinals did a fantastic job in the talent that they acquired but I believed that they should have extended themselves and given up a little bit more control to get a little bit more higher end um, uh, uh, players in return. I'm curious your th your thoughts on that in general. I, I buy heavily into Takoa Roby. Um, yeah. Uh, in, in some of the circles I, I travel, that seemed like a coup for the yes. Cardinals to get him. Um, I, I definitely sympathize with what you're saying. I just... For me, I know how tough it is to capitalize on those rentals, especially rental arms. So for me, like Sem Robursa, like... How, how do you say that? Is that it's Sem Robursa. Robursa, okay. And, uh, yeah, you know, Cloffenstein, uh, like, I guess, as I, as I regroup to try to, like, adjust. Like, Cloffenstein is more of a Woodford type. Like, yeah. 
he he's like a weird amalgam of Lance Lynn and Jacob Woodford uh, because we call him Jacob now and again. Um, but we're like he all of his stuff is kind of average and he kind of pitches in a weird way. But it all it definitely all comes from like the same point and moves just a little different. So he's got like a cutter and a slider that move just a little bit different and a fastball on a, a sinker that kind of moved just a little bit different and a curveball in there that moves just a little bit different. And it's enough to keep AAA hitters off balance. But as it stands right now, it's probably not going to succeed to a high level at the majors. Now he, they could tinker with him. He's a big boy and he throws like 88, uh, uh, 90, 91. There's, there has to be more velocity in there. And if and you get to more velocity, I'd say, you know, like, I will always be critical of the Cardinals uh, development process of pitching, but they seem to find velocity in a lot of guys. And like you said, he's six, he well over six feet. He's like six, seven, six, he's six, like seven like foot that. 10, I think. Yeah, it is Yao Ming. As a matter of fact, they uh, they they signed him uh, out of China. Um, <laughs> he might no, be good. Uh, <laughs> so he's he's going to be fascinating to to find. Uh, I don't think it's the Cardinals MO and maybe, maybe I'll take a step back. The Cardinals do whatever they can to help and aid a pitcher's development. They don't necessarily take a, uh, they don't take the steering wheel. They, they help out where they can. That's why you find that all of these, these pitchers that have had success or have gained velocity, usually do it away from the Cardinals. Uh, Graceffo did it all while he was out, uh, while he was at Villanova, you know, and then sure. he, he built on that on his own in the offseason. Same thing with Matthew Libertor. You know, when Libertor is really dealing, it really doesn't have anything to do with the Cardinals. It's it's just him internally. Uh, and and it goes down the line. You know, when Pete Hansen gets a little bit more velocity, that's something that he has inside of him. Uh, this is all happening outside of the Cardinals. The Cardinals aren't really doing anything. It's it's just as we've as the studies have shown, uh, as pitchers enter major league organizations, they gain more velocity, probably because they're taking it a little bit more seriously. They're probably lifting weights. They're starting to realize their dream. That they're investing more in themselves. Um, it really is away from the Cardinals, but it's you know Kloffenstein, uh, He's going to need to find some if he's going to have continued or any type of major league success. Otherwise, right. it's just going to be middling here or there. And uh, Robersa, uh, Robersa. Is is just really interesting. Like again, uh, I think I think he's one that has capitalized on Cardinals' teachings, which is to command the zone, uh, to 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 use the zone. Because when I watched Sem uh, in in the Blue Jays organization, and I watched nearly all of his starts from this year, I don't remember how many. I, I want to say eight or nine. Uh, he he would do what uh, they used to call pussyfooting. Uh, around the strike zone. Um, I, I really just wanted to use that word. I don't even know if I used Great it right. Word. Yeah, no, you did. Yeah. Uh, around the strike zone. And he was more attacking. And he wasn't at first when he entered the organization at AAA. He was he was a little too cute with the, the zone and yeah. working. But he, he got on attack mode. And if he's going to be on attack mode and his velocity is going to be in 93, like he is substantially better of a prospect than Michael McGreevy is. And I've always been the low man on Michael McGreevy. So uh, take that for what that is, but that's a major league arm. I don't know to what extent, but there's a major league potential in there. It's just the the one guy and Thomas and JC aside, the one guy who could be the difference is Takoa Roby because Roby yeah. is a monster. Like I, again, I watched I, I, the the circles that I travel in. They they love him, but then I went back after the trade and I watched every single start that was available to me, and it's just like he has to do a little tweaking to. Uh, 
a third pitch against righties because as good as his fastball is, righties jump it sometimes, uh, especially if he's if he's lower in the zone or, or mid zone. He probably needs to find one more pitch, maybe a cutter uh, to go and also command his changeup a little bit better because he doesn't really have a great feel for his changeup. It's coming along, but it's not there. But between that fastball and curve, uh, he's going to be a reverse splits guy who gets who gets in on uh, lefties and could be something more. You know, uh, he's just like, he's Graceffo with a better fastball. And Graceffo's fastball is really what holds him back. That and maybe some pitch tipping, uh, arm slot issues that he needs to work on. But that, that that's the difference. Roby has the potential. And again, potential is whatever. Take, take that for whatever it is. It's an easy throwaway line that we all use. The front offices use it. I use it. We use it as fans when we're talking uh, over a beer. But the potential is there for him if he can just tweak things a little bit to be a, a major league starter and relatively immediately. Like that's how yeah. good his stuff is. And, you know, I, I've, you know, watched some of it and it seems like he kind of has the modern um, setup as far as pitch mix, the the high fastball that seems to not have a ton of movement on it, the little bit that I have seen. Um and I'm, the breaking ball seems fairly devastating. I think we were kind of comparing him to a right-handed Matthew, Matthew Liberatore, uh, but with a little more swing and miss stuff. Um, he's a little undersized, but do you would you bet money on him affecting? Like, Moselak is talking about we need three pitchers uh, going into next year. Do you think Roby is kind of earmarked as one of those three pitchers? Is he that well-seasoned? No, no. Uh, maybe maybe come August. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, no, they shouldn't use any of their available options. I love Zach Thompson uh, with my entire heart, and I hate the way Dakota Hudson pitches uh, <laughs> and maybe even Breeze. I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure that part out of it. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, so uh, I, I, don't I might just should... hate Dakota Hudson, Hudson at this point. He's driving me insane. Like, I want them to put him in the bullpen just, yes. just so that I like I can find a reason to like it uh, because I hate the way he pitches like. I, you know, I heard, um, not to like, I won't say the person, but there's a, a local pundit who's on the radio on a morning show uh, <laughs> on the 101 station uh, who's been around forever and who's highly respected, who just says, Dakota Hudson gets wins. You know, everybody's sure. so in- invested in the analytics, Dakota Hudson gets wins. And I don't know what to say to that. I, I don't know how to talk to somebody, again, who doesn't, like, I don't know what to say to that other than to say, I pity you, but you know what? You're right. You're right. The team wins when Dakota Hudson pitches, even though he throws 96 pitches and five innings and lets up five runs and only strikes out a guy uh, and gets three swing and misses. Yeah. Uh, So you're right. You're right. Even though he puts 12 base runners on in, in five innings, you're right. I can't argue that. Even if you're someone who's allergic to the advanced analytics or going on a baseball savant or anything like that, the more a pitcher gets hit hard, the worse. You you can just say that. And Dakota Hudson, I think he's like bottom 10% in the league as far as giving up hard contact. I mean, he just gets his ass beat every time he goes out there. Thank God he has such a high gro- uh, ground ball rate. And that that sinker is a legitimate pitch. At least it seems like it. But when you know it's coming and then you let it leak into the center of the plate, um, he has some crazy number, like I think 25% of his fly balls. I'm pulling this out of my ass right now, but yeah. I think 25% of the fly balls that he gives up go over the wall, which is like <laughs> unbelievable. But, uh, okay. So we talked about Roby. I'm interested. Kloffenstein. I, I like a big guy, I like a big boy. So that's something that we can dream on. Um, I also, we've seen a lot of drew Rom, and I will tell you, 
I don't like why the way that you're talking about Dakota Hudson, I feel about Drew Rom. I it I want him to be good because he doesn't have like a god gifted arm. Um, he seems to have decent location, a tier beard, but uh, oh, yeah. obviously yeah, we've yeah. seen it. It's just not working for him. No, he's not good. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I hate to be that way, but and and maybe there's some development there that that he still hasn't got to, but. Look, that was not a hard pitcher for the Orioles to give up. Right. Uh, but he is exactly what the Cardinals needed in that moment. And maybe he finds some velocity and can pitch out of a bullpen or be a spot starter that uh, that saves you an inning here and there, six, four or five or six innings here and there uh, throughout the course of a season. But he is exactly what he is. It's He's he's depth. You know, uh, the Cardinals made a late season promotion of Pete Hansen, who I love, uh, a fun guy. But that's basically what Pete Hansen is, too, you know. Pete Hansen went from Palm Beach to AAA, got one inning in the during the weekend. Like uh, there, there's a decent breaking pitch there and deception um, with his fastball that allows his fastball to play up. But it doesn't matter against Major League talent because Major <laughs> right. League talent is Major League talent. And sure, he might be able to sneak in one out of every five starts uh, as a productive start, or two out of every five starts as a productive start. Uh, but that's all it's going to be, you know, it, it, he's going to get torched two out of every five starts too. And yeah. not just like that is beat. He's going to get torched. And like I said, I don't know what the adjustment is with him. I, I watched early in the year. I watched Memphis just beat the living hell out of him uh, when he was, uh, when he was part of the Orioles organization and nothing about that was impressive when he was in the minors for the Cardinals. And he was striking people out with this fastball up in the zone. Didn't make any sense to me. Um, but he is, in a way, a very valuable depth piece for a team that's needs as much pitching as possible. Yeah, and, and I guess that's what it comes down to. Maybe it's just quantity over quality. But uh, yeah, I, I think maybe if uh, Lugies were still a thing like 10 years ago, he would have been a valuable baseball player, but it's hard to see him fitting in uh, to this team. One other pitcher I want to talk about before we get to a couple of position players is Zach Showalter. Now, this kind of seems like the throw in of all throw ins in that trade, maybe even more so than Drew Rom. But the kid seems to have big arm talent. Um, I think he's a, a nephew of he, he is a famous Showalter. So he's got baseball blood in him. Take that for whatever it's worth. Um, any thoughts? Is this guy? Uh, is he a bullpen piece? Is, is he going to affect the major league roster at any point? Well, he's got to get healthy. That's yeah. You know, uh, shortly after the Cardinals acquired him, and he made his his um, organizational debut at Palm Beach for the Cardinals, he went on the IL with an arm thing, and uh, a combo of things happened here for me. I a stopped asking, so I didn't get like an answer <laughs> on exactly what it is, and then I stopped looking. Um, so a, a little fault on my part for for not doing my due diligence. Uh, so yeah, I he's got to get healthy, but. If he's healthy and he's pitching from that weird ass angle of his and it's all explosive the way it's capable of being explosive, then yeah, absolutely. Like there, there is major league potential there. But just like with with Juan Bin Cho, uh, you know, the, the outfield prospect, just like with um, Edwin Nunez last year to to a lesser extent, like there is a lot of development that needs to happen for him to get there. And that comes with innings. So he needs those two things to, to really play yeah. in his his court. I am team Juan Bencho. I want that to yeah. work out. I want him to be a power hitting right fielder and uh, a cute dog and, and everything. Yeah. Um, all right. So we can you kind of already talked about him, but uh, Sagasi and Prieto. Um, now these to me are like the most cardinal acquisitions of all time. 
I'm looking at Sagasi as kind of, well, I mean, he's kind of a utility knife. And then he comes to the Cardinals. He's already having a solid season with the Rangers. He just starts hitting and hitting and hitting for power. And, you know, again, I, I want to uh, defer to you. You watch a lot more minor league baseball than me, but the bat speed looks legit. The defense seems fine. Um, this kind of feels like a bit of a steal. I'm not saying that he's going to take Nolan Arenado's job or or be the shortstop or second baseman of the future, but he seems like a guy that could affect the big league roster really quickly and kind of be like, I don't know, if Daniel Descalso could actually had a hit tool or, or something around that. Yeah, um, he's fun to watch, especially at the plate. Yeah. His his power, Thomas, uh, by the way, I love I love how you pronounce his last name, uh, Sagassi. Uh, I heard I, somebody recommended we call him Sagassi. Sagass? Um, <laughs> if, if, he was, if he was really shitty, we'd have to call him Sagassi. Um, but his Sagasi? name is Sagassi. Yeah, Thomas Sagassi. Okay. Sagassi. All right. I do want to give, I'm usually, I usually have a lot of fun with John Denton whenever the opportunity arises. But he he actually wrote a really good article about some background on Thomas to JC that that I hadn't seen out there into the ether about how his mom passed away uh, just a couple years ago and um, you know how how he's kind of come to terms with that and how she still um, like her memory pushes him and it's it's my understanding with talking to some people involved with the Rangers <clears throat> pardon me that. This year he came in and it was an aggressive promotion, uh, you know, as a 21 year old at double A and he came in and he was just, he was overextending himself a little bit. He wasn't getting a lot of fastballs. He was getting nothing but junk early on. And it really was be like in June before the Cardinals even acquired him that he started finding his power and he started being a little bit more selective at the plate. Now, uh, I guess the one thing with Sajacy at the plate is that he his contact tool gets him in trouble sometimes. It hasn't gotten him in trouble at the minor league level, especially not this year. But we started to see at Memphis over that very, very, very small sample size that uh, his his contact tool works against him sometimes because he, he can make contact with everything. Like, and a, like a David make- Fletcher type problem where he just swings at everything. Yeah. yeah, he's he's a little bit more disciplined than somebody who swings at everything. but. Um, if, if there's a pitch to be around the zone, he's going for it. Like, yeah. uh, there, there's no doubt about it. And he can usually do a little something, something with it. But we saw him struggle a little bit. Again, that very, very small, not worth analyzing sample size at AAA. Uh, so he needs, that'll be his major adjustment. If if he can be a little bit better and making in-zone swing decisions, then uh, you, you'll have something there, something more than just, uh, you know, what we've seen out of Alec Burleson. Because in a lot of ways, um, so JC reminds me of Alec Burleson at the plate. Now, again, I know the Cardinal fans will jump on that and they'll eat that alive. And we, I love that guy's hit, hit a profile. I love, he, I think he may have had the most unlucky season of any Cardinals player this year. I think that I'm on breakout watch for Alec Burleson next year. Yeah, I'm with you. A little luck. I mean, a little luck because of his yeah. number of at-bats changes the whole season and the, and the whole talk that, that we're having. But, um, you know, people forget how good Alec Burleson was at double-A and how great he was at triple-A once he got a little taste of the league. And they have the same issue where they're just so good at hitting and they're so good at staying alive in counts and understanding what they're going to be approached with that – 
when you get to the major league level, it works against you because of how talented the pitching is. So he's going to have to be a little bit better about his end zone swing decisions if he's going to be um, an everyday contributor. I have faith that he will. I think that this is just the first step, just like I have faith, like you said, with Alec Burleson. I think I think in a different circumstance, Alec Burleson um, figures it out. I, I don't yeah. know if it'll happen here because I just don't have faith that it's going to happen here. Like it took Lane Thomas two years away from the organization to get there. Justin Williams never got there. You know, uh, uh, it's Justin Williams. Haven't thought about that guy in a while. Yeah, I, I thought he was going to come up again and give us 40 bombs. Yeah, well, that's. That's another fascinating story because that's why you don't get in love with exit velocity. Uh, it's contact is just as important. Right. I think that's one of the things we might be running into with Victor Scott a little bit, who I love with all my heart. But uh, that again, getting a little ways away from that, uh, sticking with Thomas to JC, he he's he's made solid strides defensively. Um, he's a smart kid, a smart base runner. His footwork in on the his footwork in the field is a little a little off. They'll get that cleaned up. He'll work hard to get it. And, you know, just like with Alec Burleson, who's a little bit more limited with his athletic ability than Sajasi, as I say a little bit, but it's quite a bit more. Uh, it's just a matter of figuring out that fine tuning, the balance uh, to to make it all work at the major league level. But, yeah, yeah look, that there, there's he's going to make a major league debut. Uh, like you can't take that away from him. There, there's a major league debut in there and how he decides to command the strike zone as a hitter will make the difference in between what level of success he has at the major league level. Yeah. And I think that's very exciting. Also, he's only 21 years old. He's already uh, had a little bit of like a cup of coffee, essentially in AAA. And, uh, you know, who knows what 22, 23, man, on the Burleson thing, I want him to be a good major leaguer so bad. I wish that there was a little more athleticism in it. I wish that he could kind of use his arm in the outfield a little bit more, because I think that there's a really good baseball player in there. Um, but obviously, He's an athlete. He's talented. But when he's like rounding the bases or making a, a deep run in the outfield, he just just doesn't look the part. It, it, something looks off. I, I want I want that to be fixed somehow, but I'm not sure if it will be. Yeah. Um, and uh, one other player and, and then we'll go to a quick commercial break. Uh, Cesar Prieto. Um, so I feel like this guy hasn't really gotten much fanfare, um, but I'm, I'd like to hear your thoughts. This is kind of the, the final piece of the little trading deadline that the Cardinals had. I'll be honest. I don't know what to make of Cesar, Cesar Prieto. <laughs> he does one of two things at the plate. He either lines the ball directly over the second baseman's head, but in front of the right fielder or gets for a single. Uh, of course this, he does more than this, but it seems like it's either that a, a line drive hit about 95 to 97 miles an hour, right over the second baseman, the leaping second baseman's head, uh, uh, right in front of the right fielder, or it'll be a grounder between the first baseman and second baseman, or he gets out. Yeah, uh, he runs into power every once in a while, but the power he has is weird because it's all about his swing, like his swing trajectory. Uh, uh because all of his home runs are hit like ninety-seven miles an hour. He doesn't like he doesn't unload on balls. Yeah, it's, it's the weirdest thing. But his you know his bat to ball skills are outrageous, just like Nick Dunn. Like the two of them have outrageous bat to ball skills. Uh, Noah Medlinger is a, another um, utility player at Double A who has outrageous bat to ball skills. Um, it's just again same thing with Prieto as Sejci. If you can make contact with everything, it can get you in trouble sometimes. And Prieto sure. is one of those guys who swings at so much. I mean, even more than Sejci does. You know, Sejci's vulnerable. Um, not as vulnerable as he was, but on 
fading changeups uh, away from him and curveballs dropping, you know, not sliders, not like your typical righty that struggles with the slider out. It's it's that that depth curve or that depth slider that's more of a drop pitch. Uh, that that's what he struggles with more than anything. Uh, with with Prieto, it's more heat up, especially out, heat up and out. Now he can use the opposite field and uses it pretty well, but it's just like that's that's going to be one of those when he makes his major league debut you're really going to need luck on your side. Um, for, in my opinion, without that power for it to really work out, or he's just going to continue to find that little zone right there and, and rake for hits and it won't make any sense. But the difference is while Prieto is a little bit older, I think he's 24 now. 24. 20, yeah. Yeah. He, the issue is his defense is not nearly as, as reliable as a JC's, you know, he's, I would call him a little bit more of a liability in the field as currently constructed. Um, I don't. I don't think he is a liability, but I just. I don't think right now he's the kind of player that the Cardinals, a team that lost this year because of mistakes, uh, lost frequently because of mistakes out in the field. I don't think he's the kind of player that the Cardinals would ever be in a position anymore to rely on to field second base on a regular basis, and he's not. I don't like him exactly at third. I haven't seen yeah. enough to really have a feeling about it. So, and, and I mean, honestly, uh, normally I wouldn't, you know, even bring up a 24 year old infield prospect who's the 14th ranked, depending on what list you're looking at with the Cardinals. But the Cardinals infield depth, and, and yeah, I guess really just infield depth, full stop, it looks really, really shallow all of a sudden. Obviously, we have Mason Wynn, who I think we're all very excited. I, I can't be more excited about him. I think he's going to have a a great next year. And that'll be fun. You have Tommy, uh, you have Brendan, you have, um, Gorman. I think that some of those guys, uh, one or two of those guys are likely to be traded and it kind of puts guys like Prieto and Sadducee. Uh, now I don't know how to say it again, but it puts these guys, it's a Gacy. It's a Gacy. It's a Gacy. So JC, JC. Yeah. Um, so JC, I, I kind of, uh, I have this little, worry in the back of my head that these guys are going to be more important next year or the year after than maybe ideally you would want to. And that Cesar uh, Prieto is going to have 200 at bats in 2024 or, or something like that is, is feels likely to happen right now. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I think that's the 200 at bat number is perfect because uh, they don't really have anybody outside of Edmund and Wynn that you feel comfortable playing shortstop. You know, even if you if you talk about like the, some of the names I brought up, uh, Noah Medlinger, more of a second baseman who could play third, who the Cardinals have put out in the outfield just to get as many reps as possible. Uh, Prieto, second baseman, a little bit of third. Uh, Nick Dunn, se- a second baseman, an average at best at second base, who they've tried to get at reps at third, who just he just doesn't take to the position. The mechanics yeah. of throwing from third in particular really get the better of him. Uh, they they do not have a real major league other than Jose Fermin, uh, a really major league viable shortstop backup. Uh, you know, I, I think Brendan Donovan would be fine there. We saw that he's decent enough to hold the fort down for 15 days if you had to, but like that's, that is the issue. That's where Thomas to JC. Now I, I wish they would have sent to JC to the Arizona fall league instead of Jeremy Rivas. Um, they, they've got a love fascination with Jeremy Rivas that I don't understand, but he's a good kid who kind of, you know, he's just like, he's a coach's kid. So you, you kind of, he's not a coach's kid, but he has that like mentality about him. Yeah. So they, they, they're in love with him. They can't get beyond it. But um, I wish they would have sent him and just tell them every rep he gets is that short. You know, he played short uh, at Springfield a little bit, played short at Memphis a little bit, because I believe Thomas and JC is athletic enough to play short at the level that Paul DeYoung did. 
Uh, I think that Texas undersold his defensive athleticism, his athleticism period. Although he's kind of slow. He's got like a little Matt Carpenter thing about him when Matt Carpenter was like 24, uh, where he, he was quick enough, but then it, yeah. I mean, degraded pretty quick. So Paul DeYoung never has been a speeder, but even yeah. this year was a excellent defensive shortstop. Yeah. So I, I think with the right, with the right skill, with the right coaching, which the Cardinals have, you know, uh, doesn't get any better than Jose Okendo. Um, yeah. you, you know, with the right coaching, I do think Thomas to JC could be, um, not, not Paul DeYoung because Paul DeYoung was a fielding Bible award winner. And right. that, that's, that's unrealistic, but he could be an average ish defensive shortstop. Uh, so yeah, like that's, that's the area. That's why trading Tommy Edmond is really tough and hoping that Mason Wynn takes the next step is, is a hope, you know, uh, the, the, the Cardinals lineup is currently constructed is very hard to part with pieces because of some of the depth issues they have at any position other than second base depth issues. And nobody's been healthy this year. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to say Gorman is our second baseman, Brendan Donovan. We haven't seen him in a while. Um, and not to mention having to utilize, uh, Tommy Edmond in center field because our center fielder has heel surgery. It's, it's one thing after another. Um, all right, real quick, I've got a break, a little break for ad, and then we'll talk a little bit more about some other youngsters, uh, upcoming series and some league news. Thank you everyone for listening. I'd like to remind you that this show is listener supported on Patreon. If you have a couple bucks to give us, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, so we are no longer losing money making this show. Uh, all you are, are very supportive and at our first tier, you get in our discord server, the bird scored, uh, come join us and, and hang out there, get off Twitter or X and all that shit, uh, and come chat with us. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Talk About Birds. We're on Instagram at Talking About Birds. Uh, you can email us questions or concerns to talk about birds at gmail.com. Maybe ask Nate where he is, how's hungry, what's going on there. Uh, we're on Spotify. Check us out there if you prefer to listen. We have a TikTok. I love TikTok. I'm so good at it. Love love putting our faces on there and, and getting criticized by people. Uh, and if all that's too much, you can just simply go to talkingaboutbirds.com. Uh, thank you very much, Kyle. Anything that you would like to shout out or promote? No, <laughs> no. Uh, support <laughs> these guys. Come on now. Come yeah, on. support us. Follow Kyle at Kyler four one six. Birds on the black. All all that good stuff. If you're listening to this show and you don't know who Kyle is, and I, you're the way that you interact with baseball Twitter is very strange, and I don't know how to how to help you there. But uh, I, I'm sure you know him, and uh, and thanks for I- listening. I will say that if you've listened to the last 50 minutes of this and you're still listening, I, I, you made a mistake. But <laughs> yeah. I, I apologize. My, I would like to promote apologizing to you for listening to this. It's a, it's a methadone, right? It's uh, we're addicted and it's just, uh, it, it's slightly less worse than being on Twitter or something like that. I don't know. All right. Well, there's a couple other young guys that I wanted to talk to you about that were not involved in trades. Um, I, I think that, uh, to start off, I, I just have to ask you how you feel about Chase Davis. Number one overall pick, he gets cargo comparisons, which makes I'm really, really trying to be chill about this because I um, I just have a deep love for cargo, the way that he, especially when he was healthy and younger, the way that he played the game and everything like that. Um, the left-handed swing, the arm, the athleticism. He's kind of built like a little house. Um Anyways, am I am I overly excited for Chase Davis? How are you feeling about that pick? I have, I, and this isn't just one person. This is like dozens of people in my 
direct messages asking me if he's a bust. Uh, I hate all of you. I just, <laughs> I cannot explain how much I hate each and every one of you. Look, it was, it was not what you, you know, in a very limited sample at Palm Beach after being drafted, he did not have a ton of success. Right. It was not like, I don't think he hit a home run. There wasn't a whole lot of um, uh, doubles power in there either. You know, the, the numbers weren't jumping off the pages. And it's tough because you see other players that were drafted around that 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 area who are already promoted levels. Um, and, and it's tough because you you see the struggle and you see the lack of power. And uh, you, you just – you get a little worried that the Cardinals made the wrong decision. Now – uh, I'm the type of person who believes in making your opinion on the draft on draft day. I love the move on draft day. Uh, the Major League Baseball draft is a fickle mistress. It does not make any sense at all. Uh, there's too much going on behind the scenes that people just don't understand, um, myself included, and I understand it pretty well. I don't understand it nearly as well, and I don't even know if Major League organizations understand exactly what's <laughs> going on most of the time. Uh, that's how, like, That's how aggressive the Major League Baseball draft is. It was the right move to make. He is a dynamic talent, uh, a dynamic athlete, and a, a, a very engaging young man. It's just that he got off to a bad start in the organization. This stuff used to happen all the time, and no one had any idea. And when I say this stuff happened all the time, I'm not talking about like 1994 or you know uh, even even 2000. Like back in 19 or in 2017, no one would have known or cared that Chase Davis didn't hit for power and his average was low. Like people just wouldn't have cared. Like I think about Dylan Carlson, you know, Dylan Carlson uh, was, you know, he, he starts off with the Florida coast league back then the FCL and he's not particular, the Gulf coast league, the GCL um, Florida compact, Florida complex league <laughs> is where they're at now, but he starts off with the GCL and he's just okay as an 18 year old. Now that's a whole different story, but like people didn't care about that then they didn't care about Dakota Hudson, you know, Jordan Swaggerty making it to double a was a huge thing. I, I remember that. Like, but even then, that wasn't that isn't what it is now because of how connected we are and how aggressive people follow minor league baseball, myself included. Uh, I'm I'm part of the problem here. So <laughs> it's I he's the right kid. I love him. I think he's super athletic. I think he's in for a big 2024 season. And people need to just chill. Uh, uh, you know, sit on a block of ice, uh, calm the fuck down. If I can throw that out there, and just wait <laughs> to see what happens because. Yeah. It's a long year. It's a long college baseball year. And then it's a hell of a transition into minor league baseball. And not everybody makes it as quick as others. I'm kind of shocked that he played as many games as he actually ended up playing in single A. Having because yeah, I believe he made a deep college run as far as their team was successful. And they had some college playoffs. They, they had a longer college season. Um, but I, I'm really just I, I'm happy to hear you say that, because like I said, I, I'm kind of I'm worried I'm getting too excited for him and just just the profile, the video, everything that I've seen, especially from his final year in college. He looks um, yeah, he looks really, really impressive. And and somebody who would complement uh, Jordan Walker and the young kind of Cardinals nucleus really, really well, especially with his time. He's 21. You know, his timing as far as when he should make the big league should kind of work out well with that, assuming health and production and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, that's that's exciting to hear. Yeah, I think I think for him it'll be the same thing. Swing decisions. You know, he right. his last year in college, he got his swing decisions figured out. And especially those first couple weeks in Palm Beach, he was just you could tell he was on his heels. He was a little too aggressive while also on his heels, which is a hell of a combination to be at the plate. And uh this stuff happens. 
Yeah. So 2024 it is. 2024 it is. Next guy I want to talk about, if anybody follows Kyle on Twitter, I think you'll probably know that he has a bit of a, can I, I don't know if I can call it a crush or an affair or, or an infatuation with this guy, but he had 94 stolen bases. Um, he made his way two different major league levels. He found a little bit of power this year. Uh, he was walking at a good clip. Victor Scott, the second, um, obviously he's not a perfect prospect made in a lab or anything like that, but I kind of just want to give you the floor to kind of gush about Victor Scott and, and your thoughts and, and what his future is looking like right now. Well, I feel the same way about Victor Scott that I felt about Mason Wynn all of these years, you know, uh, there are certain players. And I mean, we'll take the baseball out of it. There are certain people that just have a, a, a charisma and energy about them. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer will say, no, uh, uh, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I, I was just, uh, anyways. Um, so, uh, Victor Scott, Special Jeffrey Dahmer. people that you like, yeah. Fan, <laughs> people who you watch their whole careers and, <laughs> um, but he's just a charismatic young man. You know, everybody loves him. Uh, he, he makes, he has friends throughout the, uh, throughout baseball. He is just like, he's a great, a great person. Yeah. And he's also a dynamic athlete. Uh, we've seen him do things in center field that I'm like 95% sure there isn't another center fielder in the organization, major leagues or minors that could do because of his speed and, uh, his arm and his reads, um, those reads, you know, he, he gets himself into trouble because of how fast he is. Sometimes he he'll overplay a baseball and it gets better of him, but those things are becoming more and more rare, but he is just, he is so unique in the way that he does things. Now, a little background about me. I don't give a shit about stolen bases. Uh, again, if at any point you would like for me to stop cussing, I, I will gladly will. But um, I don't care about stolen bases. Well, it's it's a kind of funny, and I'm going to totally derail us really quickly, because it is funny when we're looking at like the, the value of a stolen base is, I think, for the average fan is vastly overrated because of how often those people get out, even if you're highly successful, but the added run probability added is so tiny that I think, you know, even if you look at Ronald Acuna Jr. season and he is, don't get me wrong. He's doing amazing things this year. No, I'm not taking away from that at all, but the stolen bases aren't really helping the team that much. They're probably wearing him down and he's mm -hmm. gotten thrown out quite a bit too. I think he'd probably, his MVP candidacy would be even more booned had he not, had all those uh, stolen bases. So you're, you're yeah. preaching to the choir. I'll, I'll just but say it, that. But even as somebody in this, I, I only use that as, as a, a pretense or as a introduction to say that even as somebody who doesn't give, uh, does oh, not I care. <laughs> yeah, like he it's is exciting. something, he is something special. Yeah. Now um, there, there are some things that I'm anxious to see how they develop. You know, he hits the ball hard and his exit velocities are good. But, just but, like, it's not there yet. There, there needs to be, um, in order to be a contributing major leaguer on a regular basis. Now, his defense might get him there, right? Um, but you need to be able to find an incredible balance of hitting the ball hard and where they're not and making good swing decisions, which he does frequently. But I... He's not as major league ready, and I'm gonna I'm gonna regret saying this. And I love this kid with all my heart. So sometimes I end up being a little bit more, um, a little harder on these people, uh, the the players that I, I really like, because I want to see them as major league ready as possible when they get to the majors, so that it's not as much of a fan feast 
as it can be, especially with Cardinal Nation. But it's like, all I'm trying to say is that he's still working out some of the kinks to become the major leaguer that he's capable of being. You know, I've I've heard all kinds of people say all kinds of things about his his future. You know, I've heard everything from Gerard Dyson to Ben Revere to, um, you know, I've had a couple people again, not not just one person. I've had a couple people in the in the industry tell me that they think he could become Brett Gardner uh, uh, over time as That's he grows exciting. into his yeah as he grows into his power, which he he's going to have to grow into his power because the exit velocities are there to show that he can grow into power. And he has hit for a little bit of power here and there in the organization. It's just that those numbers always tick back for this kind of player at the major league level. You know, I think uh, in a very rudimentary way, he's some combo of Tony Womack and Ender Inciarte as crazy as of a combo as that <laughs> is. Now, maybe, maybe there is a player like that, uh, that I'm just not thinking of. I do think mechanically there's a lot of like Ben Revere comparisons. He doesn't load the way Ben Revere does. He's more hands through the ball. I do think if he wants to access that power, he's going to have to load a little bit more than he does, but I don't, if he's walking, which 7.5% on the year, just, it probably isn't enough, but if he's walking and he's bunting his way on base, cause he's a really good bunter too, then he does have in this modern era of base stealing, uh, the chance to, and with his defense and with how smart he is on the base pass, um, the chance to be a major league, even if it, even if the power doesn't develop the way it needs to, um, a major league caliber center fielder on a team with a very good offense, like the Cardinals have the potential of having, like uh, they can have Mason win. I think Mason win is he's not going to hit 240 with a 260 on base percentage. Uh, right. But I, this offense is good enough that you can have Mason win at short hitting 240 with a 280 on base percentage and Victor Scott, if Victor Scott's doing those, those other things that he's capable of doing and playing the center field, that he's capable of playing, doing something similar and both of them not hitting for power as long as everybody else is doing their job. So I, I look, I think he's going to develop into an everyday major league center fielder. I don't know if he's exactly too far away from that, but I do think it's unrealistic to expect that power to continue, um, especially with this swing is currently constructed. I think that there's going to be an adjustment there. I think he'll make it. I think it'll take time. It's just a matter of how much time it's going to take. Yeah, look, he's a hard worker. He's a smart kid. Yeah, There's a real chance that he can go into spring training next year and have discovered the little swing pattern to get to that power. And it's, it's hard not to be excited about it. Just looking at the big fat stats, a guy making a trouble, a uh, move from high a to double a, and the numbers all getting better. And maybe there was some luck involved there. Uh, maybe there was a change, but you know, raising his OPS from 763 to 823 after that jump, same amount of games played at both uh, stations, pretty impressive. And in, he's only had two years with the Cardinals, but a 367 on base percentage. I think you said the walk rate was around seven, but yeah, I mean, it's the offensive profile is kind of rounding out. And if he's contributing on the base paths and in defense, then that's, I don't know, a three, four win player, uh, yeah. you know, like base level. And maybe he taps into some of that power, but I'm excited yeah, to I talk think, about something I, a little I, less exciting. Oh, sorry. I just want to say real fast. I want, yeah, yeah. Just one thought, like he's going to have, an amazing Arizona fall league. He's going to be uh, at the, by the time the Arizona fall league's done, everybody's going to be, everybody in the world is going to be talking about yeah. the second. Well, at least we have something to pay attention to in this next month or so. So that'll, that'll be good as the Cardinals season ends. Um, all right. Tink Kentz, Gordon Graceffo, Michael McGreevy. Um, I say those names. I'll also, uh, I meant to say uh, Cooper Jerpy as well. Um, 
none of these guys has really had a great year. Cooper Jerpy's still in high A and was fine. Graceffo and McGreevy kind of seemed to take a step back. T. Kentz uh, was fine and then got promoted and wasn't so fine. How are you feeling about the Cardinals pitching prospects outside of Takoa Roby, who we already chatted about? How are you feeling about that group of guys who I think we all kind of assumed were, I, I assumed at least one of those guys would affect the major league bullpen, maybe get a spot start this year. Obviously that didn't happen and won't happen. How are you feeling about the future is I guess what I'm trying to say. I still believe in Hence and Graceffo and Jerby. Uh, it's a shame that Jerby had to get those loose bodies removed from his elbow. Sure. And it derailed the innings that he had. But again, we'll see him in the Arizona Fall League, which is the positive in all of that, because more than likely he's going to do some dominating in the Arizona Fall League. So I still believe in Graceffo, Hence, and, and Jerby. I think with Hence, the one thing that we saw is that he started working behind. He was trying, again, same kind of thing, trying to get too cute with the stuff. And then early on, once he started struggling, he would do the get me over fastball. And at double A, you can't do that, no matter how good your fastball is. And it was the first time that he had ever faced that. So getting behind and then not having success with the get him over fastball really worked against him. You know, I I didn't get to see uh, him get blown up in the playoffs, the Texas League playoffs. I didn't watch that game. I I just had too much going on and I haven't had time to get caught up to it. I don't know exactly how he got blown up the way he got blown up. My guess is that he was still working behind. Um, So that's going to be the thing. He's going to need to be more aggressive uh, inside of the zone and just trust that he's not going to get blown up. Uh, Graceffo is interesting. Like I said, uh, when you talk to people outside of the Cardinals organization, everybody like the elephant in the room with Graceffo is his arm angle. You know, his fastball slider apparently, and I could be getting this wrong. I get this wrong all the time, but the fastball slider come from one angle and the curveball changeup come from a different angle, uh, at least a different release point, maybe. And those two things work against him. He's going to need to sort that out. His fastball isn't, like from a movement profile, isn't particularly great either. It, is that something that he's playing with for deceptive purposes, or is that something he's doing unconscious that he needs to clean up? Ah, uh, mm, I don't want to say. I don't know no. for sure. You know, no. my guess would be that it's just how he throws the baseball. You know, I sure. know that, uh, I, look, same thing with him. He, he's a workhorse. He's going to do everything he can because he's a competitor to have the competitive advantage. Uh, so maybe it is there. I, I have no doubt that, be, and part of his work ethic is what goes into my thinking that I haven't give up, given up on him, even as a major league starter. You know, I think at the very least he's a bullpen guy. You know, I, I was always the high man on Ryan Helsley. I'll stay the high man on Gordon Graceffo too. Um, I'm not, I, I have not, I will not, and I cannot be high on Michael McGreevy. Uh, I, I just like, Sure, he's going to have a major league debut, and it's going to be okay. And he's he's going <laughs> to get some outs with sliders and sinkers. And if he uses the curveball a little bit more, which he's a little bit more reluctant to use, and they want it to be a handed matchup pitch, sure, he might he might have a little bit of success. But he's just he's just okay. Like you know, there isn't a high upside there as currently constructed. And he's starting to get older now. You know, like he's not a twenty one year old that you can project. Like he's twenty three and working. He should be at what they projected him to be when they drafted him. But, of course, they're not really doing a whole lot to help him either. So it's, uh, you know, hopefully they, they can take some strides there too. But, like, I'm just – I've never been a big Michael McGreevy guy. I In a lot of ways, and, you know, I, I think I was on the radio at some point and I said, he kind of reminds me of some amalgam of Dakota Hudson and Luke Weaver where there's two pitches there, and if the two pitches are going, they're working well. Uh, but 
the issue is that he's going to need batted ball luck as his stuff is currently constituted. And that's well, dangerous. It's a dangerous, slippery slope. And those guys were good. I, yeah. I, I mean, I thought Dakota Hudson was going to be a mainstay and I thought Luke Weaver was going to be an effective, you know, fourth or fifth starting pitcher. Um, but then I guess kind of what you're alluding to is that it was fine until maybe a little athleticism slips, a little velocity slips, a little injury pops up, whatever it might be. And now those guys are, well, they can't hold the job down. Yeah. Yeah. And w- with him, you know, his command is, is his carry tool. You know, the, the thing that separates him from Dakota Hudson as a sinker slider guy mostly uh, is the fact that he commands both pitches. And Dakota Hudson has never really shown that ability. He just, again, he has such downward motion on his pitches that he gets double plays and ground balls and wow, 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 wow. Um, but with, with McGreevy, he commands his stuff better. So it seems a little bit more sustainable in my mind to have, you know, FIP to ERA success for McGreevy, he is going to need to work in that curveball a little bit more. But like, and he, he's worked on a four seam two to go with the sinker, you know. Uh, so it's there is a potential there that he could be a fifth starter, fourth starter. And again, the elephant in the room being velocity. If yeah. all of a sudden he's throwing ninety five miles an hour, there's no telling what his ceiling is. Right. Yeah. Like this guy may have been an effective Cardinals player ten years ago, but it does kind of seem not only uh, kind of seem to fly in the face of the way that the Cardinals are drafting now, even though this guy was only drafted a few years ago, but the way that the organization and Mo and everyone is talking about, I I think I've heard Mo say swing and miss, you know, 175 times in the past four months. Um, I think really trying to telegraph to people like us that he gets it. They need to refocus. That's going to be uh, uh, the, the, the main point of emphasis going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm with you. Hopefully, hopefully. All right. I will stop drilling you about the kids Uh, really quick. I just want to sit hit on that. uh, The Cardinals have three games in Milwaukee uh, and then three games in St. Louis against the Reds. And that is all she wrote. I think there's not really much to say about this. Uh, Milwaukee pretty much has the division locked up. The Reds are done. Um, We get to watch a couple of interesting players on the red side. I find the Brewers to be unbelievably boring where they're those games aren't very entertaining. I guess the one thing I'll call out is like Joey Votto. This is likely Joey Votto's last trip to St. Louis. I don't know if he's going to sign somewhere next season. I would, I kind of hope that he does. It's not going to be with the Reds. They have Encarnacion Strand who will take over at first base, I assume. Um, but I guess I, I'm kind of sad to uh, the end of the Joey Votto in the Reds uniform, even though he's kind of kicked our asses for two decades. I, I love Joey Votto. He'd be a great DH option from the left-handed side for the St. Louis Cardinals. How for Dickerson level of contract? And oh my God! And we're talking about how there's like kind of a lack of leadership, or or maybe a bridging the gap from the young to the old. How that would be a really fun little thing, and also just to piss off Reds fans fans to take their you know franchise stalwart. Absolutely, yeah, and you know he's got that goofiness to him too, where I think a lot of the old school Cardinal fans would be so confused by what he's saying most of the time. <laughs> he's goofy and he's thoughtful, um, yeah. which I do think would make a lot of Cardinals fans, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe angry and, and confuse yeah. themselves. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, anyways, two final series of the year, uh, and they're. I, I was hoping that these would be really exciting, important series, but they're just not. Uh, all right, a couple things in league news, and then we'll uh, close up shop. 
Um, in an article with the athletic, uh, which if you have not had a chance to read the athletic, Ken Rosenthal did an amazing job of breaking down why the Mets suck this year. And if you haven't had a chance to read that, I'm just saying this to everyone, go check that out. Uh, but in that, uh, Tommy Pham, friend of the show, uh, one of our favorites and just all around lunatic said he told Francisco Lindor, Lindor out of all the teams that he has played on, this is the least hardworking group of position players that I have ever played with. Just boom, shots fired. Tommy Pham, uh, you know, let let the bodies hit the floor. Uh, love it. I, I love it. Yeah, you can't beat it. I That type of brutal honesty is uh, the why you love Tommy Pham, and it's basically everything else why you hate Tommy Pham. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I, I, I love it. I, I can't get enough of the Mets looking bad can't get enough of it. It's, it's funny to see a payroll like that be so unproductive. Um, (laughs) and to put a Cardinals lens on this, it, uh, the fire that Tommy brings, I do wonder if it's hard not to think with Yadier Molina leaving that the, that, that that isn't a big factor. And I wonder if losing guys like that, if not having a fam type in the locker room, I just, I don't know. It, it's intangibles. There's no way to put a number on it. There's no way to answer it. But I, I always will wonder um, if this season could have been different if uh, a fam or a Yachty or somebody was there to kick them in the ass a little bit more. Yeah, just, I, I'd love to know. Boy, do I, I, that's, I think that's a great point. Just, just a whole personality, you know, I, I would kill to know what it's like in that clubhouse for a week. You know, are, that's. Are they playing music? Are they having fun? Like, are laughs being had? Like, it, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. You know, yeah. I, you again, you hear stories that it's good and copacetic, and they like each other, and everybody's getting along. But it doesn't seem like that. And sometimes, sometimes the fact that it doesn't seem like that says more than what it actually is. Right. Um, and keeping with the motif of uh, players saying the quiet part out loud. Uh, Josh Hader said last night in a post-game interview when he was asked why he wouldn't make himself available for four outs, uh, he responded, it's the situ- situation we were at. Are we in the playoff race? When the reporter technically uh, uh, responded, technically, yes, you are. He said, you guys want me to do everything. Um, and this is kind of, I-, I bring this up because I think the Padres and the Cardinals had very similar years. Um, teams that could have been teams that were historically unlucky in one run games and teams that seem like their clubhouses just, just never quite set together or gelled up or, or whatever. Um, but anyways, Josh Hader kind of letting everyone know, um, he's just ready to get the big bag after this season and go make all his money. And I don't know, probably be a Yankee and cut his hair off. We'll see. Do you, do you have any feelings about that as a fan? If that's what the Cardinals closer was saying. And that's, um, I would, yeah, I guess I would have feelings about that. Um, now, with our situation, it would be extremely different because Ryan Helsley has defended his short innings and and said that he can throw more than that um, in the media several times. So there would be a whole other layer to it. Um, but yeah, I think Cardinals fans, and I think I was raised in a fan of like, you pick up the ball when you're asked to. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's for two innings or three innings, or, or whatever it is, you know, I, I don't hurt yourself. Um, but if you're saving anything, what are you saving it for? This is the, this is the thing you should be saving it for. Yeah. Now you set the tone, right? Set the tone, which is a, another reason why I love Ryan Helsley's. Cause he like, he just, you know, the introduction with all the lights and he just, he goes out there and 
He gives you everything. You, it's hard to look at a guy who's throwing 102 and be like, ah, he's got more in the tank, you know? Yeah. Would have been fun to have seen what that would have looked like as a starter. I am curious. Be, we'll see. Um, I, mm. I don't believe that the Cardinals are going to acquire three pitchers, whether no. it's through trade or free agency. So one or two of those names is going to have to come from in-house. Ryan Helsley is really interesting. I know you kind of alluded to Zach Thompson earlier. I think he seems the most likely right now just because of the success that he did have and he's striking people out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I, I definitely agree with you. I, I think if they do bring in a third starter, uh, I think it'll be in a cute way. I don't think it'll be, again, I I haven't seen a full list constructed, but show me all of the Miles Michaelis's, Merrill Kelly's, Drew Verhagen's. Um, Nick Martinez is like, show me those guys, show me the list of those guys. And yeah. I'll tell you my, my pick of that direction. That's they'll, they'll get one of those guys. They'll go in that direction. They have to, that's the only way that they can afford to do what they, they keep telling us they're going to do. Yeah. I, uh, you know, and I would even earlier this year, we talked about Sonny Gray. I think he's probably with his performance this year, he's probably priced himself out of that. It's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's some 32-year-old two-year-old pitcher in the uh, pitcher in the Korean baseball organization that the Cardinals have their eyes set on, and they'll give him a, a one-year deal. But yeah, I I I, sim- I I I will not believe it until they're signed and at spring training that the Cardinals are going to do what they said. Um, two other quick notes: uh, Terry Francona is set to end his career as Guardians manager and is likely to retire due to health reasons. Um, love Tito. I, I kind of wish that he would have taken the job besides Matheny, but here we are. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know, just love Terry Francona. Um, and then today, like right before Kyle and I got on, uh, Hall of Famer Brooks Robinson passed away at the age of 86. So sorry to end it on a bummer. Um, but obviously, you know, Brooks Robinson, not much needs to be added there. Uh, and that's all I got, Kyle. Um, you know, it, it, I'm glad you uh, made the time for us. Thanks for, uh, or just for me, Nate didn't do anything. I should be clear <laughs> about that. Um, but I'm glad you made the time and I, I really appreciate you uh, sitting here. If I can ask you just one last question before I let you go, who gets your vote for National League MVP? Acuna. Acuna. Okay. Uh, I think he's probably going to win it. Yeah. All right. Dude, uh, what, are, what are your strong feelings about it? So I, I talked about with the, this with Nate a couple episodes ago. I think what he's doing is incredible, but I think Mookie Betts being able to be the best right fielder in baseball and play second base just <laughs> puts short. it over. And shortstop puts it over just a little bit because they like who well, first off, who the hell can do that? He's having one of his better offensive seasons ever. And it allows you to align your defense where you can go put Jason Hayward, who is the second or third best right fielder in baseball out there. You don't have to play Miguel Rojas, who is just, he's a fine defender, but can't hit. Um, It just makes your team so much better. And I honestly, I I just have a crush on Mookie Betts. I just love it. Yeah. Damn right. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I have no, I really, I don't care if I can be as blunt as possible. (laughs) I I have, I just said, I, again, it's like a natural, I I guess I'm an alphabet guy. Like A comes before B and I was like, ah, Kuna, I did it. (laughs) It does. Um, And I think he's going to win. And, uh, you know, in the off season, when we have nothing to talk about, I'll complain about that for 30 minutes on some segments. So we got that. Awesome. All right. Uh, Well, thanks again, Kyle. Again, you follow him on Twitter. Again, if you're not following him, I'm shocked, but at, K-Y-L-E-R-4-1-6. 
Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Nate will be back next week. Uh, thank you. Bye. like a five percent chance or like a 90 percent chance this episode never sees the light of day but we're recording i think it's good and, shop uh, talk can attest to this i have a way of just destroying these uh <laughs> so that it won't record or my audio yeah. won't come through or your audio won't come through it's a me thing it's not a you thing i can promise <laughs> you that I've, it's my history at least i have someone to blame we have we have knock on wood we have yet to have a this is episode number 83 we have yet to have a lost episode oh, um boy. And I'll be honest, if that happens, I'm just going to record like, hey, guys, we recorded with Kyle. The file got fucked up. We'll talk to you next week. But yeah, Kyle ran through the wall like the Kool-Aid man <laughs> uh, right at the start of it. He said it was too much for him. And then yeah. we had to cut the recording. Uh.